morning, Apex. It's good to be with you guys this weekend as we continue our series. We are calling Seven. It's based on the seven deadly sins. And what's interesting about these sins is they're sins that most of us struggle with, yet we really don't do anything about them because we think everybody struggles with these sins. It's no big deal, right? But yet these prevent us from being the person that God created us to be, and that's why we're going through this series. This week, we are addressing, I can tell these girls need this, we are addressing the sin of envy, okay, the sin of envy this weekend, they were scared to death, sin of envy, and uh, I think of all the deadly sins, this was without a, a doubt the ugliest, in fact, this sin has its own color connected with it, what, what, if you're envy, you're what, see, you don't, you don't ever want to be green, right, unless you're Kermit the Frog, green's okay, right, but green's a bad color to be, if you're green, you're sick, right, and so when I think of envy, I, I, think, of, I think of a creature, you know, like, kind of like the Grinch, you know, beady little yellow eyes that judge and, you know, big ears that can hear all the rumor and gossip, a scowl on its face, uh, fangs that can transfer poison from one person to the next. But, but envy, you're going to see this weekend, it is an ugly, ugly sin. And when you think about it, the sin of envy is, is probably the toughest to address for several reasons. One of the reasons is when you think about the other six deadly sins, they pretty much deal with actions. But when you deal with envy, it talks about attitude. And if you're a parent and you try to raise kids, you know it's actually easier to deal with their actions and their behavior than it is to deal with attitude. But in this case, envy, it's an attitude, so it's tough to deal with. Here's the other reason is it's such a big issue in our lives. In fact, let me give you a definition of envy as we jump into it this weekend. Envy is being sad over someone else's success and happy over someone else's failures. See, it's not just consuming desire to possess what somebody else has. That's what we think envy is. They have it. I want it too. That's certainly part of it. But envy is also the consuming desire to make sure that everybody else has as little as you have. See, envy is the great leveler. It's the great equalizer. In fact, I was working on this message. I told Laura, envy is like the basis for socialism. It's kind of this idea. If I can't have it, I don't want you to have it either. And have you noticed that we now live in a culture where God has blessed you? And we're going to see later on in Matthew 20, chapter 20. Jesus says, I bless because I want to. I don't need to explain anything to you. But if you're blessed in our culture, if you're a millionaire, if you're a billionaire, if you're successful, you're kind of like public enemy number one. We're very, very suspicious of you. In fact, I turned on the news this week, and, and I'm not a big Starbucks fan. I think it's a waste of time to go there and spend $14 for a cup of coffee. But anyway, that's okay if that's what you want to do. But their CEO is thinking about running for president. And this is interesting. One of the candidates in his own party that he would be running against is he'll be a lousy president. He's a billionaire, which means he's out of touch. So I don't, I, you know, I got this guy's name and I went and Googled him and did a little research on him. And he's one of those guys that has worked his whole, his whole life. He, he's actually kind of built an empire with Starbucks. But here's the cool thing. He employs over 300,000 people. So that means there are 300 people who are getting salaries and benefits because of this guy's hard work. So I'm thinking, hey, he may be okay for president. I mean, we've had worse, you know what I'm saying, what I'm saying? for presidents. But, but you can't write a guy off just because he's a billionaire. But see, that's the culture we live in. Or have you ever heard this one? You know, rich people, they don't pay their taxes. You ever heard that? I'm sure you watch the news, you've heard that, right? But I just spent some time with Dave Ramsey in Nashville, and he did some research. Did you realize that the top 1% of earners in America pay 40% of all taxes? Did you know that? The top 1% of earners pay 40% of all taxes, but they're not telling you that in the media, right? Or here's another one. Millionaires are just living off their dad's trust fund. I hate millionaires. Well, that's not true. If you do the research, you'll find out 80% of all millionaires in America are self-made. And this is what I really thought was interesting. 80% of those who become millionaires continue to work. 
after they become millionaires to run companies and give back. That's what they do, right? And so it's much easier to drink the haterade, right, and to be envious than to say maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about you know be people being successful. There were successful people in the Bible. Solomon may have been the richest person who ever lived comparatively than anybody that's ever lived, right? Job was rich. Abraham was rich. Joseph of Arimathea was loaded. There were some rich people in the Bible, so that's not the real, that's not the real problem. It's envy. If you've got it and I don't have it, I don't want you to have it. In fact, I think what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, it's so applicable to our culture today. He says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Have you ever been around somebody who's really envy? They're just so bitter to be around. So I want to share with you, and this is a little different approach this weekend. I want to share you four ugly facts about envy that will absolutely destroy our lives and will prevent us from being the person that God called us and created us to be unless we deal with them. Here's the first one. you got to understand, envy damages our self-esteem. Psychology Today conducted a study of 25,000 men and women, and they discovered that envy is rooted in a poor self-esteem. And what it was saying was this. If you suffer from feelings of inferiority, if you feel like you've always got to be the strongest, you've always got to be the fastest, you've got to be the smartest, you've got to be the best, you're in for a life of heartache and disappointment. Because you're always going to find someone smarter than you and faster than you and better than you. And so you have to prepare yourself for that. Now, see, in our culture, we live this through our kids. We look at the neighbor's kids, and we want our kids to be as, as good as their kids, as fast as their kids, as smart as their kids. Hey, we want our kids in the best school. Screw everybody else, right? It's all about our kids. And we kind of live life that way. This is interesting. I was watching ESPN, and they were making a comment. You know, I, I was a PE teacher. And then when I moved, and I was a coach, and then I moved here, and I coached all my kids' sports. I coached soccer, I coached baseball, I did those things. And, and I enjoyed that, but this is what I've learned. In those days, you had, you had a league, it was called the Challenge League, and this is where everybody's kids came out and played soccer, right? Now, if you had a kid that was like a foot and a half taller than everybody else their own age, and they were twice as fast as everybody else their age, they typically got bumped up to like a club or to a traveling team. But it was very, very unique to play on one of those teams. There were very, very few of those teams. In fact, in those days, my son actually made one of the club teams. Uh, there, was only one, there was only one team in Cary that was considered a club team. So you had to be very, very good. You had to be very, very elite. In fact, if you played on that team, there was, there was a pretty good chance you probably were going to get a college scholarship. You may even play professionally one day. But it was that elite for you to play on one of those teams. But you know what society figured out? This culture is so crazy about their kids, and we want all of our kids to be the best, and we want all of our kids, we want all of our kids to play on traveling teams and club teams. So you know what they found out about us? We will pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, even if our kids are mediocre, to play on a team with other mediocre kids that has multiple uniforms and gets to travel on the weekend because they're a club or a traveling team, because it makes us feel good about ourselves as parents because we're envious of what's going on. I mean, we're sucking right into it. I mean, and you know what they found out is that now these teams are so watered down, they don't even matter anymore. But that's what's happening in our culture. And so, but, but if you feel like your kids have got to be the fastest, they got to be the smart, again, you're in for a life of heartache and disappointment because whatever your kids do really, really well, I promise you somebody's going to do it better, right? And all of this, if we can't come to terms with the reality, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a huge disappointment. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Mike, I don't have a hard time uh, with my self-esteem, which is another problem. It's called pride. So I probably don't need this this weekend. But stay with me because I'm going to tell you, every one of us deal with envy at some level. In fact, you know what we've learned to do with envy? We disguise it. This is how we disguise envy. For, for example, we give false praise. Like you ladies will be talking. 
at your bunco party, right? And one of them will say, isn't she beautiful? And yeah, yeah, you'll say, oh, yeah, she is beautiful. But did you know she had hair extensions? <laughs> See, that's false praise. Got to get that little dig in there, right, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's a great salesman. But, I mean, is that the kind of guy you want to spend the afternoon playing golf with? You know what I'm saying? Or she is an f- incredible mom. But have you been to her house? It's a pigsty. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's like, it, it's false praise. You know, it, it's all rooted in envy. Like, you know, we want to make sure we bring them down because it brings us up a little bit. Another one is condescending comparisons. You'll see somebody, they look all tan, like, wow, you look tan. Yeah, we just got back from Hawaii. We went for our anniversary. And they're like, man, Hawaii, have you ever been? I mean, Hawaii's incredible. It's like the most beautiful place on the planet. And you go, yeah, yeah I've been to Hawaii. But have you been to Fiji? Because, see, Fiji makes Hawaii look like Cleveland, right? And so, you know, it's got it's to be bigger. It's got to be better. You See, you're the kind of person, you could get into a conversation about vinyl siding. Your vinyl siding is the best. You did the research. There's no way anybody else's vinyl siding is as good as your vinyl siding. This, this is all rooted in inferiority and, 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 and envy. Here's the second ugly fact about envy. It creates a lack of contentment in our lives. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 12. And just think if you could live your life this way. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Look at this. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul says, it doesn't really matter. If I got a lot, if I got a little, if I'm hungry, or if I'm being fed like a king. I've just learned how to be content. By the way, when Paul talks about contentment, understand, he's not talking about complacency. Basically, he's saying this. I am happy with what I have, and I am happy with with who I am. I've learned to be content. In fact, here's a question that will help you determine whether or not you're content. If nothing ever changed in your life, would you be happy? In other words, if your life stayed the same for the rest of your life, you never got the position that you always dreamed you would get. You never got the salary you always dreamed you would get. You never got to drive the car you always dreamed you would car you would drive. You never got to live in the house you always dreamed you would live in. If nothing changed, if everything stays status quo for the rest of your life, would you be happy? Not without a doubt. We're all envious. We're all discontented with certain areas and certain aspects of our life. And I'll be honest with you, if you've traveled the world and if you've done missions work and things like that, it's primarily a Western thing. And it seems to be getting worse and worse as our culture gets more and more materialistic. But I think living in America, part of the problem is we live, we live in a place where we're constantly reminded of what we don't have. See, we're constantly reminded of what we need that we didn't know we needed until we saw someone else with it. And then we decided we needed it. See, that, that, that's envy. And there's something all of, in all of us where, we, where we, we, we gotta have bigger. We gotta have shinier. We gotta have newer. We gotta have faster. And then what makes matter, matters worse is, like I said, we live in a culture where every day we have to actually see the stuff we don't have. I mean, we go to the dentist and flip through a magazine and we see all the stuff we don't have that our neighbor has and we want. And we turn on the TV and we see the commercials of things we don't have that our neighbor has, but we want. And we see the car that we don't have, but we want. And we drive through the neighborhood where the house is that we don't have, but we want. And we walk through the mall to get a car at Hallmark, and we see all the clothes and the windows that we don't have, but we want. We see this everything and every day. And so it fuels this desire in us. I've got to have that. I mean, I thought what I had was great until I saw what you have, and now it's not so great. See? But all of us, we, you know, we deal with this in some capacity. I'll give you an example. When we, when we moved into our last house a few years ago, Laura says, you know, I, I, first of all, she asked me questions about the house. And I, I realized 
early on, like over 40 years ago before we got married, that my opinion really did not matter. And so I've learned really, you know, it doesn't matter. But, uh, which is cool because like Laura makes 99% of the choices in our life. And I'm like, I'm like, a, I'm like a freaking kept man. I'll be honest with you. But she, she takes care of buying our houses. She buys our cars. She takes care of our retirement. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So, but when, like, for example, when we got engaged, I went to California because it was so important that I helped plan the wedding. Right. And so, uh, we're like, well, honey, do you like, the, do you like the calligraphy on these invitations or these invitations? Well, I really like these invitations. Okay, we'll take, we'll take these. <laughs> do you like these flowers or these flowers? Well, I like these flowers. Okay, we'll take these. You know, so, so, so I learned, she, she really, she wanted me involved, but she didn't really want my opinion, right? So, so she's asking me about the house. Well, honey, about the house, what color do you want the walls to be? I don't care. Do you want hardwoods or carpet? I don't care. Do you want hardwoods or tile in the kitchen? I don't care. What kind of countertop you want? Honey, I don't care. Do you want drapes or blinds? I don't care. She said, what do you care about? I said, I want a bigger TV. <laughs> I want a bigger TV. Because I had a 55-inch TV, and I thought I would be happy if I had a 60-inch TV. So Laura let me buy a 60-inch TV. I did every research you could do on TVs. I got a 60-inch TV. My dang neighbor that goes to Hope got an 82-inch TV. <laughs> My TV now sucks, see? <laughs> but isn't that the way life is? Now I got to have a TV, right? I got to get a new TV. And see, here's the thing. If you stop and analyze it, you, you realize it's insanity because you know it's never going to go in. Because here's the thing. If I go out today and buy an 82-inch TV, he's going to buy a 122-inch TV. I mean, what do, what do I do with that? But the problem with envy is, see, it's an appetite that's never, ever satisfied. And what do you do with that appetite? Because, see, we know, we know that satisfying an appetite doesn't go, make it go away. In fact, you know what happens to an appetite when you feed it? It grows. And that's why the more stuff we have, the more stuff we want. See, when I was a kid, I didn't want much. You know why? Didn't have much. I, 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 I can't even begin to describe to you how poor we grew up. In fact, when I first brought Laura here from California to visit my family, I took her to Durham, got off on Austin Avenue, go under the railroad trestle. We, our house was like three houses on the left, and she looked at the house I grew up in, and she, she, first thing she said, honey, it leans. I'm like, yeah. She said, I can see through the slats inside the house. I said, yeah, that's where I grew up. And I was so poor, I literally had a twin bed in the bedroom with my parents, okay? And one year for Christmas, this is no lie, I got a pair of pajamas. But what made these pajamas unique is it had a football on it, and that if it absorbed enough light, you could get under your covers and pull the covers over your head. And trust me, sharing the bedroom with my parents was more than one reason I pulled the covers over my head. But anyway, <laughs> if you pulled the covers over your head and it was dark, I could see the football glow in the dark. I was as happy as I could possibly be. I didn't, have, I didn't want much because I didn't have much. But guess what happened as I got older? I got some stuff. And as you get some stuff, what happens is the more stuff you want. But you got to understand, envy is an appetite that is never, ever satisfied. It's never, ever satisfied. And really what it comes down to this is simply this. What are you pursuing in life to find happiness? Because if you're not pursuing the right thing, you're going to pursue the wrong things, and you're never going to be happy. One of the worst things that ever happened to me was Laura got me on social media. And literally my involvement of getting on social media, she, she would take my phone and do all this stuff to get me on social media. And then she was like, put your thumb there. Okay, hold your thumb there for a second. Okay, there's your idea. And that's how I got on social media. I'm getting off of social media because it drives me nuts. Because first of all, I want to say stuff to you people who, do, or, who put stupid stuff on social media. But Laura can't. She said, honey, in your position, you can't say that. I, she can't just say you're stupid. Don't put, put stuff like that on social media. So anyway, I don't, that's one reason I got to get off because I don't have that much self-control. But the other is, the other is it's like, it makes my heart sad to watch you people. 
Because one week you're at the beach and one week you're at the mountains and one week you're in Switzerland and then the next week you're down in Key West and then the next week, you know, you're biking through Europe and then the next week, you, but you're all over the place and your kids are all over the place and you're in this constant pursuit because this is what everybody does these days. You're spending all your money trying to find happiness. I'm telling you, envy is an appetite that is never, ever satisfied. Jesus said this, I think this, you may have heard this before, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So I would just tell you, if you're, if you're trying to keep up with the Joneses by doing everything that they're doing and making sure your kids get to do everything that they do, you're never going to be satisfied because there's always going to be something else. Always going to be something else. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? For example, do you, get, do, you get, do you get as excited about serving people as you do going on vacation? Do, do you get as excited about giving, say, to Hope Community Church to impact the triangle, change the world? Do, do you get as excited about that as you do, say, I don't know, gambling on the Super Bowl? Ooh, too soon. But anyway, I mean, you see what I'm saying? But you got your priorities all messed up. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Mike, I, I wish you'd change this up because you're making me feel kind of guilty. Uh, good, because that's exactly the point in the message right here. It says, make people feel guilty. Because <laughs> this is what it says in Malachi 3.8. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? You ask, how, how are we robbing you in tithes and offering? See, some of you are robbing God to pursue this dream that doesn't exist. And you should feel guilty. My son and I, we had to do, I had to help him out on Monday to do a little project at his house. He actually works here. He's one of the, he's one of the area pastors here that oversees small groups. And, and uh, you know, Aaron's been married for about 15 years. And, and he's probably, I've never seen a guy that can squeeze a nickel like he can, he can squeeze a nickel. But I know what he makes. And so he has to live that way. But we got to talking about this. And he said, I remember when we first got married 15 years ago. We weren't that consistent with giving because sometimes we take our checkbook to church and sometimes we wouldn't. He said, but dad, one day you said, you ought to just go home and set up an automatic draft out of your account. You can go to the Get Hope app. You can go to the website. And he said, we did. We went home and every week $50 came out of our account and went to Hope Community Church. And then we began to up it. And then when we, we upped it a little bit more, we realized we didn't miss it. It was like kind of your taxes coming out of your paycheck. You don't plan on it, right? You just, you learn to live within what you get paid. And, and so... Finally, we were driving, and I said, I was driving my truck. I said, so, so like, what, what would you say you give now? And he said, I don't, I don't know, Dad. I guess we're up to 13 14% of our income that we give back to Hope Community Church. And he said, honestly, we don't miss it because it's the satisfaction that comes with doing what you're supposed to be doing. Now, let me tell you something. My son goes on vacation because, trust me, I have to keep his kids when he goes on vacation, right? <laughs> He's actually building a house in, in Fuquay, too. So it's, this, this, that's not the issue. The issue isn't nice things. The issue isn't houses and boats and cars. It's, it's what's your pursuit? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Are you making that a priority? And let me tell you why it's so important, especially with your finances, you make it a priority. First of all, it, 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 is there something just about being obedient to God? Like, I'm obedient. Because when you're obedient, you put yourself in the circle of being blessable. See, but when you're outside the circle, you're kind of on your own. God, maybe he'll bless you, maybe he won't bless you. But when you're in the circle where you're supposed to be, there's something about being obedient. Second, you realize, wait a minute, life's bigger than just me. It's about eternity. And I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm laying up treasures in heaven. And there's something about that where it breaks not only the grip of envy, but the grip of greed in your life. And then third, it, it does curb your desire on envy. Because sometimes you just have to look at things and say, I just can't do that because I got other priorities. When I'm, and I'm not, you know, when our kids were little, they were like, Dad, why don't we have beach houses? Nothing wrong with beach houses. Why don't we have a mountain house? Why don't we have a boat? Why don't we have this? Why don't we have that? So me and Laura, when they were young, sat them down and said, this is what we give to the church every month. This is our priority. And like, this is why we don't have all those things. And it, was, it wasn't that those things are bad. It was that if we could 
do our priorities and have those things, that would be great. But we couldn't afford to do both. So we had to go with what our priorities. And I would just say, some of you just need to go home if you're going to deal with envy. And you need to ratchet down your lifestyle just a little bit. And the way you do that is you reprioritize your finances. And you just should set up the automatic draft. You should just do it. I'm telling you, it is the most effective thing you can do to deal with envy in your life. Because envy creates a lack of content. And we live, uh, of discontent. And we live, we live in one of the most affluent areas in the world. We have more expendable income than anywhere in the world. And that means there's more things that we think will satisfy us. And so we see them have it, and we got to have it. We see them go there, and we got to go there. We see them do that with their children, and we feel like we have to do it with our children. You got to break that grip. Here's the third ugly fact about envy it keeps us from enjoying the success of others. Let me ask you this question Are you so consumed by what you don't have and what someone else has that you can't enjoy what you do have? For example, when you're at work and maybe you've been there a little longer and you feel like you're a little smarter, uh, what's your initial response when you find out that someone who doesn't work anywhere, from your perspective at least, as hard as you, gets a raise or a promotion? Do you, do you celebrate with them? Or are you envious? You know? Or, for example, what's your initial reaction when your roommate runs in with her new diamond ring flashing and say, I'm engaged, I'm going to get married, and, and, and you haven't had a date in months? I mean, are you happy for it? Right? How do you handle those situations? It's interesting, in, in 1 Samuel 18, uh, King Saul of Israel is jealous of David, the shepherd boy, envious. And you would ask, well, wait, 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 why would King Saul of Israel be envious of David, the shepherd boy? I mean, was he envious of David because of David's, uh, you know, uh, harp-playing ability? Nope. No record that Saul played the harp. Was he envious of David because David was so good at writing poetry? Nope. There, there doesn't seem to be any indication that David the shepherd boy, you know, wrote poetry. I mean, that Saul wrote poetry. Why was he envious? He was envious of David the shepherd boy because one day David the shepherd boy went out and slew a giant that Saul the king should have taken care of. And when David made his way back into Jerusalem, uh, the people lined the streets and they had like a ticker tape parade for little teenage David the shepherd boy. And this is what they chanted as he came into town. This was bigger than any Super Bowl parade, right? Saul, King Saul has slain his thousands. David the shepherd boy has slain his ten thousands. Well, Saul's up in the palace and he may not write poetry, but he can do math. And he figures out right away, that's like nine thousand off. And he can't stand it and he's envious. My point is simply this. King Saul didn't envy David the shepherd boy. He envied David the shepherd boy when David became David the giant slayer. Because that was the king's job. And I say that because we envy our peers. See, an in, a surgeon isn't envious of a violinist. A surgeon's envious of another surgeon. A real estate broker is not envious of a pastor. Nobody's envious of a pastor, by the way. Uh, 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 he's envious of another real estate broker. And let's not kid ourselves. Envy keeps us from enjoying and applauding the, excess, the, the success of other people. Here's the fourth ugly fact about envy. Envy denies the goodness of God. And I alluded to this earlier. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells a story about an owner of a vineyard, and he hires some workers. He hires the first one at 6 in the morning. He hires the second one at 9 in the morning. He hires the third one at noon. 
He hires the fourth one at three in the afternoon. And then he hires the number, the fifth guy, the last guy, at like five in the afternoon. And he hires these guys and he says, I want you to get out there. I want you to work in the vineyard. I'm going to show up later and I'm going to pay you a fair wage. And so they all go to work. Sure enough, the owner of the vineyard returns. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 8. When evening came, the owner, and of course this is a reference to Jesus, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The worker, look at this, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon, so they probably only put in about an hour, right? Came and each received a denarius. Now, in the New Testament, a denarius was equivalent to a day's wage. So these guys came at five in the afternoon, worked a little while, and made a full day's wage. So when those came who were hired first, they're expecting to receive more. See, this is what they're thinking. Wow, he got a full day's wage for just an hour. We're going to hit the mother load. But notice what it says. Each one of them also received a denarius. In other words, they got the exact same wage. Now, you know where this story is going. Verse 11, when they received it, they began to grumble against their landowner. By the way, let me just say this. Murmuring and grumbling are always a sign of envy. Always a sign of envy. And then they asked the owner in verse 12, these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. In other words, we've been out there in the hot sun working all day. These guys show up, work for an hour or two, and you pay them the exact same way. Now, if they were Americans, they would have also added, and that's not fair. That's just not fair, right? Because somehow we've gotten to this idea that everything has to be fair. So it goes on, it says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 13. But he answered one of them and said, wait a minute, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? In other words, didn't you agree to work for a day's wage? Verse 14, take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Now notice this. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money or are you envious because I am generous here's my point sometimes God for reasons unknown to us decides he's going to bless certain people sometimes God says I'm going to make you a billionaire I'm going to make you a millionaire and you're going to just scrape by the whole, your whole life and you know what we don't like it my parents are perfect examples, 91 and 88, have been Christians their entire adult life, have never, ever missed a weekend of tithing, ever, ever. And you know what? They're still pretty poor. And sometimes we look at a scenario like that because, see, they're not to heaven yet. When they get to heaven, we got a whole different story going on, right? But by the world standard, people would look at that and say, well, that's not fair. What's the benefit of me giving? Say, we, we don't like it, right? But the real problem is this. We're so worried about how God blessed somebody else that we're totally blind to how God is actually blessing us. In other words, we're really no different than these workers. Like, why them and not me, right? Now, this has been, in fact, this got me depressed. It's been pretty negative so far. So let me just give you, let me give you a few things you can do to rid yourselves of envy. Here's the first one. It sounds like Dr. Seuss theology. But learn to admire without having to acquire. Okay, that's good. Dr. Seuss would like that. Learn to admire without having to acquire. And let me just say, this ability will save you just boatloads of money. 
Because every one of us have things in our life we get focused on, and if we focus on it too much, it becomes a fixation. And I promise you this, when it becomes a fixation, it becomes, it becomes envy. So what we have to do is we have to learn how to appreciate the beauty of something without having to own it. Because i got to be honest with you, in some ways it's more wonderful when you think about it. You don't have to insure it. You don't have to maintain it. You don't have to shine it. You don't even have to watch it depreciate. You can just kind of enjoy it. I live in a neighborhood where I think I'm the only person without a golf cart, and I'm just so stubborn. Probably the only reason I don't have one is because it irritates everybody that I don't have one. Like, why don't you have one? They can't, why don't you have one? Why don't you? First of all, I got a neighbor who gave me the code to his garage. It said the key's in it anytime you want to buy, borrow it. So. so if my grandkids want to go ride around in a golf cart, which they've never wanted to do, I don't know what the thrill of it is, I could just go enjoy it without, I could admire it with having, without having to acquire it. You know, so. And Laura and I at one point were thinking about putting in a, juice, a jacuzzi. I'm telling you, God is good. My neighbor put in a jacuzzi. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he said, use that jacuzzi whenever you want to. They're in New York this weekend. You watch, he's going to be having a jacuzzi Super Bowl party tonight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I can see my neighbor's eight, you know, 82-inch TV from my office in my house. I don't even have to worry about that. This guy's saving me a boatload of money. You know what I'm saying? But you got to figure out, how can I admire? Listen, there's just sometimes you say no. Just because everybody else is getting a beach house doesn't mean you can afford a beach house. And I'll just tell you this right now. If you can't tithe first, you can't afford a beach house. You can't afford to have your kid in four different events. You can't afford a lot of things if you can't tithe. In fact, some of you need to downsize so that you can become obedient financially. That's all free. I didn't even say that. But see, that's what happens when you come to the last, to the last service. But... Learn to admire without having to acquire. Here's the second one. Develop an attitude of gratitude. By the way, when I talk about giving, people, we're trying to reach the triangle and change the world. And I told you a few weeks ago, if it's going to happen, it's going to show up on the backs of our generosity. God's not going to show up when we can just big, put a big pot of gold at the front of the building and say, go, go change the tri reach the triangle and change the world. It's going to come in. And I'm serious about this. I don't know how many years I got left, so I, I'm going to get more irritating about it. So let's just get it done, and I'll back off. Here you go. Develop an attitude of gratitude. This is what Paul says in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We do the exact opposite. Don't we often get sad when people hit the mother load? Like, oh. And don't we sometimes rejoice when people fall on hard times? I mean, let's be honest. Like, oh, yeah. Finally got what's coming, so I'm saying. We're like, we see, I can't, I can't believe what happened to him. I can't believe what happened to her. I can't believe what happened to that family. They get all the breaks, right? Let me tell you something. Based on what we just read in Matthew chapter 20, when we respond in situations like that, we might as well be slapping God in the face. Don't compare yourselves to other people. It is unfair. I mean, if your competitor has a windfall, say, you know what? Good for him. Maybe he'll get so much business, some of it will spill over to me. When you see a mom who's doing a phenomenal job with her kids, even though her house looks like a pigsty, you say, you know what, good from her. Maybe there's some things I can actually learn from her. But when you look at other people, admire and appreciate what, what they're doing, but at the same time, make sure you're focusing on what God is doing in your life. Develop an attitude of gratitude. And then this is the most important one. Pursue God. If you want to break the grip of envy in your life, pursue God. In fact, if I could leave you with just one thing to do that would cause envy to melt away in your life, it would be quit worry, worrying about pursuing everything else that you want in life and pursue God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of you, if I were to ask you, 
you would say, God is really, really important to me. In fact, if I ask for a show of hands right now, how many people would say God is important? Almost everybody in here would raise their hand and say, God is really, really important to me. But here's, the, well, here's, what, here's what you're not being honest about. God is really, really important to you in the midst of a lot of other things that are just as important, maybe even more important to you. I mean, right? For some of you, isn't God, God's, God's like an extracurricular activity? If nothing else is going on, if the weather's not nice enough to go to the beach, couldn't get a tea time, come on, let's go to church, right? I mean, or he's like, he's like a fire alarm, breaking case of emergency. God, I need you to show up right now. For some of you, for some of you, your faith is like a flu shot. So you've been inoculated with just a mild, just enough of the mild form of Christianity so that you won't go to hell when you die. But see, you, you, don't, you don't want to catch the full-blown disease of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You don't want to serve other people. You want to be generous so the world can be changed. You don't want to go around and share your story of how Jesus Christ has changed your life because people might think you're a weirdo, right? But yet this is what God says. He says, pursue me. Now, why is it so important as you think about envy? It's because, let me tell you, when we pursue God, we're pursuing something bigger than someone else's house. When we pursue God, we're pursuing something much bigger than someone else's car or someone else's bank account. See, we're seeking first the kingdom of God. And when we pursue God and focus on him, honestly, other stuff doesn't mean that much. I've lived in some nice houses, driven some nice cars, had the privilege of going on some fun vacations. They're all a memory. They don't mean that much. But when you pursue God, let me tell you how I learned this. Years ago, when I was a young pastor in Southern California, I uh, had one of those conversations I had to have with Lauren uh, where I let her know, you know, there was some stuff going on in my life I needed to deal with, right? I, I always tell people, if you ever want a pastor that you can put on a pedestal, you need to go to another church because this is, I'm not the guy. I'm, I feel like I'm a week ahead of most of you guys, okay? But we had only been married a few years. I was already a pastor, and I had to have a hard conversation, and she said, you, you, need, to, you need to talk to somebody. So the next day, I had a ministerium with a bunch of ministers in Long Beach, California, and it was at a church where Dr. George Peake was the pastor. It was one of the largest churches at the time in that area. This is back when there weren't mega churches, very many. And when we were finished, I said, can I, can I talk to you for a few minutes? And he didn't know me from Adam's house, Cat. And I, he was very gracious to see Jay, and he took me back in his office. And, and I explained to him, we didn't even sit down. He stood there, I stood there, I just explained to him what was going on. And what I was hoping was that we could start meeting on a regular basis. I felt like I needed a mentor and some different things, and, or a book, or some sermons, or something, right? And... So I explained to him what was going on. And without even missing a beat, he just reached out and he touched me on the shoulder. And he says, God, I pray that you'll have Mike learn to passionately pursue you. Amen. And then he just stopped. He says, all right. I'm like, not even a book? <laughs> and he could, he could see that 
And we did end up meeting for a year, but he could see there was, and this, he said, Mike, let me tell you what I learned a long time ago. He was about 75 years old. He said, I learned that Christians spend most of their life trying to stop doing things. And it's almost impossible. So one day I just decided I'm not going to stop trying to do anything anymore. I'm just going to passionately pursue God and see if things won't take care of themselves. And then he described it this way, I'll never forget it. He says, passionately pursuing God is like getting caught up in a raging river where the Spirit of God is just taking you where he wants you. And you got all this baggage and all this crap all over you that's slowing you down. But as you get caught up in that river, and if you just go with it, if you just go with it, if you just go with it, eventually something will break off here and something will fall off here, and you won't even know it's a part of your life anymore. And the Spirit of God will get you where he needs you to be. But quit focusing on what not to do and just start passionately pursuing God. And so we met for at least a year, maybe longer. And every week, the conversation was based around, what are you doing in your life right now? What's going on right now that you are passionately pursuing God? Paul said this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's just another way of saying, of passionately pursue God. And then he says this in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Honestly, I think it's the only way to break the grip of envy. Is to passionately pursue God. Let me ask you a question. If we passionately pursue God, you think we could make a difference in Apex and Holly Springs? If we all did that, if we passionately pursued God, you think we could begin to make a dent in the triangle of every man, woman, and child have multiple opportunities to hear, see, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, if we began to just passionately, forget everything else, if we just began to passionately pursue God, do we think that we could reach the triangle and actually change the world? I believe we can. You know why? It happened in Acts chapter 2. It was church at its best. Don't know that it's ever been duplicated, but that doesn't mean that it can't be. But it begins by us walking with the Spirit, by us passionately pursuing God. Envy will take care of itself. There's some checks and balances, automatic draft, giving, learning how not to feel like you have to have something just because somebody else has it. But the real difference will begin to take place and you'll really see this next weekend when we talk about lust. It's when we decide that we're going to passionately pursue God. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the simple truth of your word. Father, we're so blessed to get to live where we live. Yet, in some ways, we're so cursed. When I think about the pygmies in the Central African forest that heard the gospel for the first time, who had nothing how their lives were radically changed. And yet we have so much that interferes with any potential of passionately pursuing you. Maybe, maybe we just need to ask you to strip it away from us and it scares us to death. But what could be better than knowing that we're step in step with the Spirit? Give us the courage to make the right decisions, to be the people that you've called us to be. In your name we pray, amen.